Good enough, Artie? Yeah, yeah, all right. Let's pray. God, we thank you. We thank you for this Lenten season, Lord, where you seek to show us more of you. We ask you to speak today. Amen. I'd invite you to, um, to grab your Bible, if you have one, or if you use it on your telephone, and get to swiping over to Genesis chapter 27. Um, that's where we're going to be today, pretty much the whole time. Uh, it's a fantastic story. Uh, if you're not reading along with us, or if you haven't started reading the, the, the reading plan uh, that we started back at the beginning of the year, I'd encourage you to start up, because the Bible is full of fantastic stories of faithful people. Um, grab one on your way out, they're back there on the desk, and uh, just jump in. You can start where we're at now, or you can start at the very beginning, however you want to do it. Uh, you can have a different plan. Uh, but reading God's Word and kind of getting it into you, allowing it to speak to you, is it's a powerful experience. Um, I, I'm looking forward to some of you sharing here on Sundays about what that has meant to you, what that time, um, other than Mr. Char- Charles telling me last week that it's not five minutes, it's more like ten minutes. Uh, but that's, well, that's, and he said that's a good 10 minutes. So, uh, so anyway, Genesis 27 is where we are. Two things I like about this time of year, not just because Easter's coming, but NASCAR and hockey. <laughs> and I like them both for the same reason. Now, you may say they have nothing in common, but oh, contraire, yes, they do. You see, NASCAR has crashes and hockey has fights. And there's something about those that are just captivating. I don't know why. I mean, I know that I shouldn't enjoy watching those, but I, there's, there's a carnal part of me that does. Human crashes are that way too. Human crashes. What I mean by that is, you know, family in the grocery store, they start, I mean, it, you can hear it. It's going off the rails, and you can't help but look down that aisle. Can you? No, you can't. I'm not even going to ask you to nod or raise your hand because I know you. Right? Because I know me. I know we're in the aisle next, on the aisle over, and we're like, did you hear that? Right? We do that. We, we can't help but, but be drawn to that because it, it, we know we shouldn't, but there's something about it. Man, it, you just got to watch because you don't know where it's going to go. That's why those family sitcoms are the way they are, right? Because we love to see other people going through that stuff. Because then we tell ourselves, right? We tell ourselves, well, at least we aren't that bad. <laughs> At least we're not like that. Oh, but you are. Oh, but I am. Right? That's, that's what Lent has to tell us. Oh, but I am that bad. That's the Lenten message. Oh, but I am. Just like that. And today we're going to look at one of those families in the Bible that, you know, oftentimes we think of people in the Bible who are, you know, fantastic, holier-than-thou kind of people, right? They, they, they walk on water other than Jesus, right? But, but we, we think of... We think of people that, you know, they're just, they're just oh, they're right up there next to God, and uh, they're saints. If you were, grew up in the Catholic tradition, they were, they're saints and, and all that sort of thing. And Well, if you thought that they were holier than thou, then today is the day for you because you'll get to see something that maybe you haven't seen before. Remember that God is writing us, the book of Genesis, to, to, and he's writing the Israelites, the book of Genesis, to tell them their roots, and he doesn't hide anything from them. He writes them and tells them a story that I'm going to use a messed up family as my instrument. I'm going to use a jacked up, whacked out family to do my will. Even though they don't want to. Even though they don't want to. We think of that song by Frank Sinatra. 
I did it my way. Remember that? You know that song, right? Some of you could sing it. I'm not going to ask you to. I remember one time someone asked me to, uh, to, is it okay if we play that song at my mom's funeral? I thought, I guess so. Does it really describe her, though? And she, this was a Christian lady, and they were like, yeah, that was her life. And I was like, oh, man, how sad is that? How sad is that? I mean, it's, you know, you think of it as kind of just an uplift, kind of a, a fun song, but no. It is, if you listen to it, it is well, a godless, selfish song. It's a sad picture of life, spiritually speaking, anyway. Bottom, and that's the bottom line today, that there is a, a very high cost to getting my way. To getting my way comes with a very high cost. So whether it's sitcom families that are like NASCAR, right? They make you laugh a little. And then you start to see everything crashing down, right? I don't know who your favorite sitcom family is, but they get you hooked when, when you can see the crash coming and you can't even change the channel. That's how today's text works, and that's how I read it as I read through the text. Genesis chapter 27. I'm going to jump right in and give a little commentary maybe as we work through scenes in the text, and then I'll, we'll wrap it up at the end with a bow maybe. Genesis chapter 27, verses 1 through 13. When Isaac was old and his eyes were so weak that he could no longer see, he called for Esau, his older son, and said to him, My son, here I am, Esau answered. Isaac said, I'm now an old man and I don't know the day of my death. Now then, get your equipment, equipment, your quiver and your bow, go out into the open country and hunt some wild game for me. Some venison is what the text says. Prepare me the kind of tasty food that I like and bring it to me to eat so that I may give you my blessing before I die. Now Rebecca was listening as, as Isaac spoke to his son Esau. When Esau left for the open country to hunt game and bring it back, Rebecca said to her son, her son Jacob, you, you notice how they're, it's my son and her son already in the text, right? Because, yeah, it's already, you can already start to see that, okay, we got problems here. Look, she said to Jacob, I overheard your father say to your brother Esau, Bring me some game and prepare me some tasty food so that I might give you my blessing in the presence of the Lord before I die. Now, my son, listen carefully to, to what I tell you, Rebecca says to Jacob. Go out to the flock and bring me two choice young goats so I can prepare some tasty food for your father just the way he likes it. Moms. Then take it to your father to eat so that he may give you his blessing before he dies. Jacob said to Rebekah, his mom, but, but my brother Esau is a hairy, my brother Harry is a very hairy man. <laughs> While I have smooth skin, what if my father touches me? It would appear, <laughs> it would appear as though I'm trying to trick him. He is trying to trick him, right? It's like, what? And, and would bring down a curse on myself rather than a blessing. His mother said to him, my son, let the curse fall on me. Just do what I say and go get them for me. Just do what I say and go get them for me. Schemes of man here. Isaac, Isaac, the older man who's laid in the bed, blind, he's not like his father. His father Abraham was known to have a great faith, right? His father Abraham was known to believe in the promise of God, which was Isaac. Isaac was the promise that God had given to his dad. 
Remember up on the mountain? That Abraham had offered God back the son that he promised him? That was Abraham's faith. It was not Isaac's faith. Isaac, old, seeing his life starting to fade, he wants to bless his son. Now, we can certainly understand that, right? He seems to be in a hurry to get it done. Come in, come in, come in. Now go and, go and hunt something up and, and cook it for me. Bring it in and I'll, I want to bless you. I mean, he doesn't know, but he lives for another 40 years after this. I read this this week and it struck me. The weakness of the aged is thinking death is nearer than it is, while the foolishness of youth is found in thinking death is further away. It's very true, isn't it? See, the problem with all this is that the, the family blessing was a call for celebration. Like when you're going to bless your son, you invited the neighbors over. I mean, you made a big deal out of it. And here, he's doing it in private. Scheming. Why? Why is he doing it this way? Because he knows it's wrong. He knows it's wrong. And then when we know things are wrong, we tend to do them in private. Right? They're all right, Mama. (laughs) John chapter 3, verse 20 says this. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light, for for they fear their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light. So that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. If you're not doing anything wrong, you've got no reason to hide it. This is especially true, but we all know it's right. A mentor of mine, when we used to get into arguments about, you know, is it okay to drink? As a, you know, because Methodists, we were teetotalers back in the day, right? We were like, if you don't know what a teetotaler is, no alcohol at all, right? So this mentor of mine, he would say, you fellows don't need to be drinking beer. And we would be like, well, but it's, it's all right. You know, it's not that big a deal. We're not getting drunk. You know, I'd listen to that. And he said, well, why don't you bring your six-pack in on Sunday and just have it on the front pew? We didn't have much to say other than they won't let us drink in the sanctuary. That was really our only comeback, right? <laughs> like, like, yeah, there, I guess, okay, there, there might be something off with doing that, right? When it's wrong, we have questions about it. When it doesn't feel right, it usually doesn't feel right for a reason. Guilt, that guilt is, is not to paralyze you, it's to make you aware. Isaac knew of God's promise to Rebekah, plain and simple. He knew that back when, they were, when she was pregnant, remember? People who can... Ah, where did I get it? Maybe I don't have it in here. I don't. Genesis 25, 23 said when, when she had a problem, right, she had all this going on in her stomach when the babies were in there. She, she asked God, what is going on? And God said to her, you have two nations in your womb. Two peoples will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. That was Genesis 25. So why would Isaac willfully disobey God's plan? Like, he'd been given God's plan. Why would he do that? Why? Because Esau was his favorite. Plain and simple. When they grew up, Esau was a hunter. Jacob hung around the tents. And Isaac liked Esau. 
And Rebekah loved Jacob, verse 28 tells us. So it really was my son and your son. Isaac wanted his way, and he was doing all he could to make it happen. He wanted to bless his son, not God's purpose, not God's plan. He had a better plan. That's why Rebecca wasn't there. That's why he was trying to be sneaky. That's when, if you're watching this scene on TV, the, the camera pans over and you see Rebecca standing in the doorway as he and Esau are having this conversation. And she walks away. She heard the plans and she immediately went to undermine them. Well, you might say she's protecting God's plan, God's promise, right? But she's also making sure that her son gets the blessing, right? That's what the text said, her son. I mean, it's great to be on God's side. It's great to, to work for the things that God is striving for. But I'm not sure that her motives were that pure. Where is she putting her trust? In God, the sovereign, or in her schemes? In her craftiness? Now, oftentimes we put, our, we put more trust in our abilities than God's. Can I get an amen? Anybody else guilty besides me? Yeah, we, we trust ourselves more than we trust God. Or maybe I trust myself more than I trust God. And this is classic. The ends justify the means. Question, does God really need our help to accomplish his plan? I mean, he didn't need our help to create the world and the heavens. I doubt he needs our help to accomplish the thing he wants to accomplish. I wonder if she thought ever, and I think I know the answer to this, you know, I should go and talk to Isaac before he carries this out. I mean, she heard him, right? She could have right then said, oh, Isaac, are, really? You know that's not what we ought to do, right? She could have had a conversation. Why not talk? I think of all the, the marriage problems, right? that have been in my life and been in the lives of people I know that could have been avoided with communication, with just talking, listening. Not the kind of conversation that we're really good at. What's for dinner? Good night. Good morning. What's for dinner? <laughs> it just kind of stays on that. Like that. That's, that's the extent of our conversation, right? No, that's not communication. Communication, what I mean by that is, is sharing our heart, our fears, encouraging one another, actually making plans together for how we're going to bless the kids, right? Rather than assuming that, that my way is the best way, yes, gentlemen, that means talking to your wife. And ladies, that means not sharing everything, like most men don't need all the details. Like, matter of fact, we tune out like a couple of minutes in anyway. So the best thing is for you to give us what's right up, import, right up front what's important. And then ask us what we think about it. And we'll probably say, nothing. And that's okay. Because we're really not thinking anything about it. But instead of communicating, Rebecca decides to just take matters in her own hands. Not, we don't have to talk about this. I know what needs to be done. And she tells Jacob what to do. 
Just do what I say, she tells her son. Now, he's like 60 at this point. He's not like a kid, but she's treating him like one. Do what I say. Go out and get the goats. Go out and get the clothes. Put the clothes on. All that. She's telling him step by step. Now, if you're 50 and still living in mom and dad's basement, then they should be telling you what to do, and it should start with get out. But, but if, if that's not the case, then Scripture says a man should take his wife and leave his mother and father, right? Kids, grow up. Parents, let them grow up. Isaac knows this is wrong. He says, what, he's going to think I'm trying to deceive him. Well, you are, right? He knows there's something wrong. But I don't think this is going to work as mom's putting hair on his hands. He's like, I, I think he's going to think I'm trying to deceive him. Yes, you are. This, all this points out is the difference between confession and repentance. Proverbs twenty-eight thirteen. People who conceal their sins will not prosper. But if they confess and turn from them, they will receive mercy. See, it's not enough to know what you're doing is wrong, to, to feel guilty about it. That's not, that's not what God is seeking in us. He's asking us to avoid that thing. Avoid it. Repent from it. To turn from it. But Jacob can't deny his mom. He also wants the blessing that he traded four years ago with his brother, if you remember that scene. So here we are in this opening scene with, with everyone fully committed to doing things their way. Everybody, the whole family. And a commercial comes on. And you get up and go get a soda and some chips. We come back in verse 14. So he went and got them and brought them to his mother, and she prepared some tasty food just the way his father liked it. Then Rebekah took the best clothes of Esau, her older brother, her older son, I'm sorry, which she had in the house, and put them on her younger son Jacob. She also covered his hands and the smooth part of his neck with goat skin. <laughs> it's like putting him in a Chewbacca costume for Halloween. Then she traded then she handed her son, the, Jacob, the tasty food and the bread that she had made. And he went to his, to his father and said, My father, yes, my son, Isaac answered him. Who is it? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I've done as you told me. Please sit up and eat some of my game so that you may give me your blessing. Isaac, he was blind, but he wasn't dumb. Isaac asked his son, How did you find it so quickly, my son? The Lord gave me success, he replied. Then Isaac said to Jacob, Come near so I can touch you, my son, to know that you are really my son Esau or not. So Jacob went close to his father Isaac, who touched him and said, The voice is the voice of Jacob, but the hands are the hands of Esau. Or the hands are the hands of Harry. He did not recognize him, for his hands were hairy like those of his brother Harry. So he decided to bless him. Are you really my son Esau? he asked. I am, he replied. Then he said, My son, bring me some of your game to eat so that I may give you my blessing. Jacob brought it to him, and he ate, and he brought some wine, and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, Come here, my son, and kiss me. So he went to him and kissed him. When Isaac caught the smell of the clothes, he blessed him and said, Ah, the smell of my son is like the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. 
May God give you heaven's dew and earth's richness and abundance of grain and new wine. May the nations serve you and peoples bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may the sons of your mother bow down to you. May those who curse you be cursed and those who bless you be blessed. He gave him the blessing that Abraham had given him. He's passing, he has given the blessing down to his son Jacob at this point. Family of deceivers, though. Jacob was very comfortable being a deceiver, and Isaac didn't seem to be a, have a problem with it either. I mean, if you thought Jacob was being manipulated by mom, the moment he put goatskin on his hands and on his neck, you should have said, okay, no, he's all into this. He's all in. He's pushed the chips in. He's in, like, no, this is going to work. He takes the goat stew to his dad and lies to him point blank. Even invokes God in the scheme. Did you hear that? The Lord helped me do this. I don't think the Lord had anything in this stew making that he has. That reminds me, if someone ever tells you that God, God spoke to them and told you you ought to do something, I don't know about you, but an alarm goes off in my head. Like, no, no. If what they tell you that God said to them is not in Scripture, then, then no. Let it be a warning. I say, the Lord told me. Well, okay. What you need to do is, is, is this. Uh, thank them. Thank you. I'm going to be waiting for God to tell me. And leave it at that. And leave it at that, that, that God, the Holy Spirit, can, lives in me as much as he lives in anybody else. And if, and if he tells you what I ought to do, then, well, he can tell me himself, right? Now, if it's a problem with sin or something and you come to me and tell me, then that's different. But if it's you want me to serve somewhere or you want me to do this, do that, eh, I don't know. If you feel God speak to you about someone... Instead, try what they do in the New Testament. If you ever feel that, like, like God put something on my heart about somebody in my church or somebody in my family, and, and I've really been praying about them, and I, I feel like God wants me to tell them, then say it the way they did it in the New Testament. In the New Testament, they said, it seems right to me and the Holy Spirit that this or that. That's, what they, that's the way they said it in, in the Acts that we just read. It seemed right to us and the Holy Spirit. Like, I'm not going to say that this is a word from God, but it seems like this fits. Anytime someone is so presumptuous to say, God told me, I'm not convinced. I'm cautious, let me say. Cautious. Anyway, back to Jacob's scheme here. He was one cool customer. <laughs> he's lying to his father face-to-face. -face. I mean, even though dad's blind, but still, it's the fact that he's face-to-face he's -face with his father and he's lying to him just flat out, and he doesn't flinch. I mean, he is, I mean his name, Jacob, means deceiver. I mean, that, that's what it means, and that's really, he was really good at it, right? But still, whenever step one in your plan is to lie, you got a bad plan. <laughs> right? That should, that should just be a reminder to us that whenever we start with a lie, we need to go back and start at the beginning. Like, go back and come up with another plan because that one is not the right one. And because even a blind and hungry Isaac could smell that something ain't the spice goat. 
right? There's something up here. But he's deceived. Because the one who uses deception is often deceived. Senses are warning him that it's not right. Warning, 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 right? The, the dashboard is flashing. But he wants to get this done. He wants, to, he wants to move forward. He wants to bless his son and move on. He's in a rush. And yet in, the, in Hebrews, the, the New Testament tells us that by faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau in regard to their future. By faith, he blessed them. But when I first read that, I thought, what? That doesn't sound like it's a faithful move at all. It sounds like it's... But, but no, he was believing when he blessed them, he was believing that these words are true. And these words, God is going to seal these words. He believed and it, it was true, right? So it wasn't that he was doing a good thing or an honorable thing. No, he was, Isaac was trying to deceive, and yet he believed that whatever I speak over my sons will come true, that God will be faithful to it. He had faith. He had faith. And this tells us that the Spirit is work, at work in this. Even though we don't, maybe we don't fully understand it, God sometimes allows evil to be used for his plan. It doesn't mean that that his plan is twisted or or that the people who did the evil aren't going to be held accountable. But God can use anything. He can work through anyone to accomplish his purposes. And now we start to see the fallout in the family as, as we approach the end of our little sitcom that's we're starting to realize this isn't a funny story at all. It's actually kind of sad. In verse 30, after Isaac finished blessing him and Jacob had scarcely left his father's presence, his brother Esau came in from hunting. He too prepared tasty food and brought it to his father. Then he said to him, My father, please sit up and eat some of my game so that, it may give you, so that you may give me your blessing. His father Isaac asked him, Who are you? Well, I'm your son, he answered, your firstborn, Esau. Isaac trembled violently in the in the hebrew it says he trembled with a terrible trembling <laughs> just to reiterate that, that he he knew what had happened who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me i ate it just before you came and i blessed him and indeed he will be blessed when esau heard his father's words he burst out with a loud and bitter cry and said to his father bless me me too father but he said, your brother came deceitfully and took your blessing. Your brother came deceitfully. It's funny. We were trying to deceive him, and we, uh, he, we got tricked. Esau. Esau said, it isn't right. Isn't he rightly named Jacob? This is the second time he's taken advantage of me. He took my birthright, and now he's taken my blessing. Then he asked, haven't you reserved anything for me, Dad? Isaac answered Esau, I've made him lord over you, and I've made all his relatives his servants. I've sustained him with grain and new wine, so what can I possibly do for you? I've given him everything. Esau said to his father, Do you have only one blessing, my father? Bless me too, father. Then Esau wept aloud. Isaac answered him, Your dwelling will be away from the earth's riches, away from the dew of heavens above. You will live by the sword, and you will serve your brother. 
But when you grow restless, you will throw his yoke off of your neck. It's a high cost to trying to get things our way. This scene is all about Isaac and Esau, the two men who have had their schemes backfire on them, like in a real way. Esau was willing to go along with his dad's scheme, and it didn't work. But it doesn't stop him from crying over something that he gave away a long time ago, if you remember, for a bowl of soup. I mean, we start to feel sorry for Esau, like, oh, man, they really did get him. But no. He gave away what he's now crying over a long time ago. Jacob didn't take his birthright. Esau had sold it. Jacob didn't take Esau's blessing. It never belonged to him. It had been given to Jacob at their birth. But that didn't stop Esau and Isaac from scheming, from trying. The fact that there was nothing left for Esau, it shows us just to the degree that Isaac was willing to work against God's plan. I mean, Isaac was was completely against what God was wanting to do. That he would give Jacob, who he thought was Esau, everything. His intent was to leave Jacob out completely, even though God had said, that's the one. But why? Because it was his favorite. This isn't a slip. This isn't a a mistake. This is Isaac's heart. And what does it get them? Look at these closing verses. Verse 41. Esau held a grudge against Jacob because of the blessing his father had given him. He said to himself, The days of mourning for my father are near. My dad's about to die. Then I'll kill my brother Jacob. When Rebekah was told about her oldest son, his plans, she sent her younger son Jacob and told him, Your brother Esau is planning to avenge himself by killing you. Now then, my son, do what I say. (laughs) Again, telling him what to do. Mm. flee at once to my brother Laban in Haran stay with him for a while until your brother's fury subsides when your brother's no longer angry and forgets what you did to him I'll send word and you can come back from there why should I lose both of you in one day she was expecting this to be over pretty quick then Rebecca said to Isaac I'm disgusted with living because of these Hittite women the the Esau had married two Hittite women. If Jacob takes a wife, another wife from, or if Jacob takes a wife from among the women of this land, from Hittite women like these, my life will not be worth living. So she prepares to send him away, and we'll get into that next week. But what they wind up with, for all their efforts of trying to get things their way, they, they what they wind up with is a debt they can't afford. The ending, there is no happily ever after in this story family's torn apart I know for many of us that that's been real in our families that we've we've experienced that Isaac wants to wants to bless his favored son instead he puts him under a curse he wants that tasty venison and instead he gets some spicy goat he wants things his way he doesn't get them and even still he pays a high price Rebecca wanted God's chosen son to be the blessed one, albeit for selfish reasons. The blessing she wanted for her son, he'd have to leave behind for, to save his life. 
what she thought would only be a few days turned into be 20 years he spent with Laban. 20 years. In fact, she would never see him again. She would never see her favored son again after this. In fact, she was estranged from both of her sons. Her other son went away as well. And her husband, she was emotionally estranged from him. They, she's not really in the story anymore after this point. She got her way, but she paid a very high price. Esau's furious. Esau, Mr. Harry, he's furious. His anger destroys his relationship, not with just his brother, but his mother and his father. He leaves the whole family. And his ancestors continue to be a thorn in the side of the Israelites for the rest of history. He certainly didn't get his way. But he still paid a very high price. Jacob, well, he got what he wanted, right? He got his way. Even if he had to deceive others. But look what it cost him. He got the blessing that he was entitled to, that he deserved, you might say. We'll see in a few weeks, though, that, that he would learn the lesson of deceit in such a way. He'd be taught this lesson of, of not to deceive people in such a powerful way that he would never do it again. He'd never do it again. He'd be taught by a master deceiver, his uncle Laban. Proverbs 16.25 tells us, there's a way that appears to be right, but in the end leads to death. This family realized that. This family lived this way. And I just want to tell you that Lent reminds us that there's a better way. That there's a better way. You can't stop God's purpose. So why not, why not seek to realign my life with his purpose? Like to get on the same page with him, right? There's a, there's a law of sowing and reaping in scripture in Galatians chapter 6 and it reads this way I don't think I have it on here no I don't Galatians chapter 6 verses 7 and 8 it reads this it says do not be deceived God cannot be mocked a man reaps what he sows whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction whoever sows to please the spirit from the spirit will reap eternal life see Godly ends don't justify human means, sinful means. It's true that God calls us to live our lives a certain way, to do the right thing, but in order for it to truly be the right thing, then it has to be done the right way. And what is the right way? It's the way of the one who's already paid the price. It's the way of the one who already paid the cost. It's the way of Jesus. The way, the right way is under the power and direction of God's Holy Spirit that comes to live inside of us when we put our faith in Christ. That's the way we find our life. That's the way we, we understand who we were created to be is when we lose our lives in Christ. We say that during our communion service. That we, when we give ourselves, when we lose ourselves in Christ, we find our life. That's the key. Today we see a whole family seeking to do it their way. But that's not the theme song for a Christian. 
I did it my way. When we surrender our lives to Jesus, he begins to show us the life, the true life that's found in surrender. That's what he wants to give us this Lenten season. As a husband, as a wife, as a child, as an employee, a boss, a volunteer, a neighbor, a church member. True life is found in surrender. God, I thank you. I thank you for giving us a clear picture of, of how not to do things. God, the, the effects of, of how doing things in ways that just it seems right to us actually can have huge problems. Lord, I ask you that you would, that you would teach us, that you'd remind us to call us, to, to guide us. Lord, to seek to do things faith-filled. Not that we're going to be perfect, but that we might reset our lives and reset our, the relationships to be founded in truth and grace and love. God, that we might have conversations with people who, who want to do things a way that we don't think is right. That we may talk to them instead of trying to deceive them. God, that the relationships you give us in our homes, in our families, are for your, you have, you have ordained those, God, to be a source of blessing and not a curse. That's your will for us. That we would be a blessing to one another and to the world. God, help us find that. As we surrender ourselves to you and to your will. We love you. Amen. Amen.